0: That happens every time I say, (laughs) let's start our sermon, all right? It must be a button they're pushing or something, I don't know. All right, Um, let us turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are back in our series on 1 Corinthians. This series on 1 Corinthians is titled, Confronting a Contradictory Church. Confronting a contradictory church. Paul is addressing the Corinthian church because they were not living in line with what they believed. Today we're going to look at verses 10 through 19 of chapter 1. Chapter 1 verses 10 through 19. And I'm going to use the title, A Vaccine for a Divided Church. A Vaccine for a Divided Church. I'll start reading at verse 10. Paul says, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you be in agreement and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ May not might not be emptied of its power for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you that you have addressed all sorts of issues in your word so that we can know how to live um, in our time as the body of Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to look at this passage, reflect on ourselves, our time, our culture, the church today, uh, and, and see how some of our practices are contributing to emptying the cross of its power. We pray, Lord, that you would teach not only our church, but the body of Christ as a whole, how to be of the same mind and of the same purpose, because it is only when we are on one accord that we have the power to live out a proper witness for Christ and to bring glory to you. We ask, Lord, that you would work in our time to bring the body of Christ together so that we can fulfill our mission of spreading the gospel to every nation, every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. We thank you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Throughout world history, there have been more than a dozen pandemics that have unleashed inestimable human suffering and death. These pandemics go back as far as 430 B.C. in Athens during the Peloponnesian War. These pandemics include smallpox, leprosy, three bubonic plagues, cholera, measles, the Spanish flu, and now COVID-19. Of course, I've left out lots of other ones. Each of these pandemics have caused numerous deaths, sometimes killing two thirds of entire populations. In 1770 an English doctor named Edward Jenner became interested in the idea that a person who had been infected with the cowpox disease would be protected from becoming ill from smallpox. Cowpox, which is an uncommon and usually mild illness, can be transferred from cows to human beings via sores on the cow's body. In 1796, Edward Jenner tested his hypothesis that a person infected with cowpox would have immunity from smallpox. And on May 14th, 1796, Jenner inoculated an eight-year-old boy named James Phipps with matter from a cowpox sore on the hand of milkmaid Sarah Nelms. Okay, so he just, he just popped the sore, the rubbed the pus on the little boy. Okay, That was, you know, vaccines back then all right <laughs> okay all right <laughs> phipps suffered a local reaction and felt poorly for several days but made a full recovery in july of the same year jenner inoculated phipps with matter taken from a fresh s- human smallpox sore in an attempt to challenge the protection from cowpox phipps remained healthy Jenner next demonstrated that cowpox matter transferred in a human chain from one person to the next provided protection from smallpox. Two years later, in 1798, the world's first vaccine, which was for smallpox, was produced. Okay, So that was their their way of coming up with vaccines. They just took pus from one person, rubbed on another person, and realized, hey, this is protecting us from... From disease all right so in 1796 we have our first vaccine more than two centuries later <clears throat> the discussion about vaccines are a daily part of life every day we hear about the coronavirus vaccine on various forms of media we are told that we need the vaccine in order to develop herd immunity herd immunity is when the majority of a population is immune to an infectious disease, which then provides indirect protection to those who are not immune to that disease. So, for example, if 80% of the population gets vaccinated and has herd immunity, that means four out of five people, right, they cannot get or spread this disease, which protects the other um, um, one-fifth of people, Um, who has not been uh, vaccinated. And in this way, um, the the spread of the disease is kept under control. Clearly, vaccines are essential to protecting an entire community from the devastating effects of an epidemic, such as the ones that have occurred throughout world history. But today, I want to talk about a different type of epidemic. This epidemic is not a physical epidemic, but a spiritual epidemic. This epidemic is division in the church. This spiritual epidemic is even more serious and severe than a physical one because its casualties have temporal and eternal consequences. However... As Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 19, God has provided a vaccine through the cross of Jesus Christ that is powerful enough to provide the church with spiritual herd immunity from the devastating effects of division. Now, I want us to look at um, a couple things in this passage. First, we're going to look at verse 10, which is going to show us the importance of unity. Why does the Bible talk so much about unity? Uh, second, in verses 11 through 17, we're going to talk about the symptoms of a sick church. And then in verses 17 through 19, we're going to talk about a central focus on the cross of Christ is the vaccine for division in the church. I know I said that fast. You'll get it as I go along. <laughs> Now, I want us to recognize that unity in the church is essential. What we see is that division in the body of Christ, it robs the church of its power. Right? It robs the church of its witness to the world. When people see division in the body of Christ, what it does is tells them that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not true. Right. You all remember that Jesus said to his disciples before he the night before he was crucified, he says that they should love one another because by this, by them loving one another, all men will know that I am the Christ. Our love and our unity is what demonstrates to the world the truth of the gospel that Jesus is who he said he is. Instead of trying to explain why unity is important, I can go through a, a list of ideas of why I think unity is important. What I want us to do really first is to look at just a couple of, of, of passages in the book of Acts so that we can see uh, wh- what the Bible says is the effect of the church being on one accord. Okay, So the, the word one accord is translated several ways. Uh, in the in the book of Acts, I want us to look at just a just a couple of these verses. I want you to look at Acts chapter one Acts chapter one. just moving one book. Two books, I'm sorry, to your left. Acts chapter one. I'm going to read verses six through 14. And what I want you to see here is that unity in the church affected the church choosing a new leader. Okay, we all are familiar. We know that Judas was an apostle, right? He hung himself. And they needed to choose a replacement. It was not until the church was on one accord that they then were able to select a new leader. Verse six. So when they had come together, right, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times and or periods that the father has set by his own authority. who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come into in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. (coughs) Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Philip, um, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves, and this word devoting themselves uh, can be translated were on of one accord, constantly devoted themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Now, the rest of the passage goes on to talk about how they needed to find a leader in order to replace Judas. And because they were on one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer. The Holy Spirit led them to pick Matthias. Next, in Acts chapter (coughs) 2, I'm going to read verses 43 through 47. The church being on one accord produced salvation in their community. Their unity is what drew other people to Christ. Verse 43 All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together, okay, together, on one accord, and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Now notice it says they spent much time together. They spent time at the temple and in each other's homes, eating, fellowship, spending time together. Right. Whenever there was someone who was poor or needy in the church, people would sell their own possessions to take care of those who were in the church. And it says they had goodwill of all the people. Everybody in the community could look at them and say, wow, we've never seen anything like that before. Look at the result. And day by day. The Lord Added to their number, those who were being saved. Unity in the church is oftentimes the greatest form of evangelism. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) People are drawn to Christ because they see a loving community that cares for each other. Next, I want us to look in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter (coughs) 4, starting at verse 23. And I want us to see here that unity in the church caused the church to be filled with the Spirit and gave them the ability to boldly proclaim the word despite being persecuted. They were being threatened not to keep preaching or teaching in the name of Jesus. But because they were unified... Right, the Holy Spirit filled them so that they could go right back out on the same corner that they had just been beaten on and proclaim the same Jesus. Listen, to what he said, verse 23. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. It is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. So this is from Psalm 2. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. They were on one accord, so much so that God filled them with the Spirit and shook the place that they were in, (laughs) okay? And they were filled with boldness so that they could go out and continue proclaiming Jesus' name. Last one, Acts chapter 5, verse 12 I want you to see that unity in the church produces healing, miracles, and again, salvation in the community. Healings, miracles, and salvation in the community. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders, okay, so miracles, were done among the people through the apostles. And they were all together, so, all right, all together on one accord in Solomon's porch, None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Great numbers of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats in order that Peter's shadow might fall on them um, on some of them as he came by. A great number of people would also gather from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. Unity in the body brought many people to salvation because they were seeing miracles and healings taking place. A unified church is a powerful church. Yeah, that's what we need to see, that a unified church is a powerful church. and When the church is united in the same mind and in the same purpose or, again, on one accord, it is more effective at advancing the gospel and having an impact on the world. You cannot have an impact on the world when you are fighting and arguing and bickering and divided. The in the church robs the church of its power, and it robs both Jesus and his Father of their glory. Now, <clears throat> what I want us to look at here in the next couple of verses are symptoms of a sick church. And oftentimes we don't see these things as symptoms of a sick church because we're immature, and uh, like the Corinthian church, uh, our immaturity is oftentimes coupled with our pride and self-righteousness so that we, we, we wear our sickness somehow as a badge of honor, <laughs> okay? <laughs> now, every single uh, disease has some set of, of, of symptoms, right? Every, every disease has some set of symptoms. And, and uh, so, for example, the way we know that we have the coronavirus is we realize we can't taste certain things, right? We develop some kind of a cough. Right? So, so the symptoms are often the only thing that alerts us to the fact that we are sick. Now, <clears throat> what I want us to see here is that uh, these symptoms are not always the disease, The symptoms are just there to alert us that there's some kind of deeper issue that we need to address. Right. The Corinthian church was sick, but instead of recognizing their spiritual illness, they ignored their symptoms and even wore their symptoms as a badge of honor. Later, Paul will address the Corinthians deeper underlying issue, which is trusting in the wisdom of men rather than in the wisdom of God. We'll see that. Next week, when we come back and look at the rest of chapter one, this underlying issue, them putting their trust in the wisdom of men versus the wisdom of God, is evidenced by two symptoms. First, the first symptom is that the church was dividing along party lines. That's the first symptom of their disease. And the second symptom of their disease is that the church was being sidetracked by important but secondary issues, right? They were dividing along party lines, and two, they were being sidetracked by important but secondary issues. In verses 11 through 13, Paul says, "It, It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Excuse me. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? (coughs) The Corinthians' first symptom... Was that they were dividing the church based on who their favorite leader was? I belong to Paul's group. <laughs> I belong to Apollos' group. I belong to Peter's group. Then you got the super spiritual people. I belong to Jesus's group. Okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? That they were were dividing the church up based on who their favorite leader was because they thought somehow that the person being a better leader or a more gifted speaker or whatever, somehow gave them some form of credibility or honor because they belong to that particular group. And Paul has to teach them that this division, this factionalism, is immature. <laughs> It's prideful, it's sinful. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to recognize that this type of issue is present in the church today. Not just our church, but in in the church itself. It's hard for us to think this way because uh we, we don't want to admit that that we are immature and prideful like the Corinthian church is, right? right. Um I I remember times at my former church when uh, people would come in and and um it may be a Sunday that my former pastor was not preaching and uh, and immediately people were like well, who's preaching today? Right? <laughs> and, and and I and I immediately learned the lesson that I ha- I have applied for the for the last 12 years. I have never once and I know my executive team they'd be upset they'd be like why you ain't telling us you ain't preaching. <laughs> right? I've never once in the last 12 years let people know in advance when I'm not the person that's going to be preaching, <laughs> okay, because people would come in the door, and well who's preaching and 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 depending on who was preaching that day, some people literally would turn around and get in their car and go home <laughs> <laughs> okay that is immature. That is prideful. That is sinful. Because, er, of course, no, nobody is going to preach like, you know, the like the pastor or your favorite person. But but every single person who has been called by God has something that they can teach you. We as Christians should be able to learn from anybody. That is preaching the word of God. It's a shame that we divide ourselves up into our favorite preacher or favorite leader. When I was teaching the Bible Institute, I would have a class full of people. And then other people might have one or two people in their class, right? It, it, it's a shame. It's the word of God that you're in the class looking for. You're not looking for me or the person teaching. It's the word of God that we should be after. Sometimes people think, well, that's not me. I don't fall into that category. So I have two more examples. Okay. You know, you know, you you know, you know me. I keep, you know, forcing something until I get it to where it be. And I know people won't be upset, but hey, I'm like Pastor Bob Pierce. He said, God calls some people to have a ministry of comforting the afflicted, and God has given me the ministry of afflicting the comfortable. I was like, oh, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> Sometimes people ask me for books or CDs on particular topics. Sometimes I recommend to people different conferences or particular authors or particular speakers. And most of the times, my recommendations are not followed because people are looking for certain things. Sometimes people say that they don't like books that I recommend because they're looking for this topic from a black person's perspective. Sometimes people don't like my recommendations because they feel that the person is boring and they need somebody that's going to make them shout and feel good. Sometimes people are looking for materials We'll just, that will just give them their desired outcome. All of this is immature and prideful. <laughs> we, we're, we're, we're dividing ourselves along characteristics and leaders that make us feel good, that fit our criteria. When at the end, what we should be trying to hear is what thus says the Lord. We divide ourselves in the church today into little groups and denominations based on our favorite leaders and qualifications, just as much, if not more than the Corinthian church. And someone needs to start asking us the same questions that Paul asked the Corinthians. Has Christ been divided? Was Joel Osteen crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of T.D. Jakes? We can substitute any name, any conference or any church here and the result will be the same. Dividing over and bragging about or only being able to follow certain leaders, preachers or churches is immature and prideful. It robs the church of its central focus on the gospel, which weakens the church's witness and influence in the world. The church is weak because we are distracted by non issues. Focusing on the way someone says something versus what they're actually saying. Right. And I know it's a joke. We're like, oh, that's so funny. But it's sad. It's immature and prideful. Like, oh, yeah, but girl, you missed it. Pastor preached last week. What did he talk about? I don't know. But he sure did preach. I don't know what he was talking about. But he said it in a way that made me feel good. That's immature. <laughs> and it is robbing us of our witness to the world. Let me take it one step closer. We got security here today, right? Okay. Some people may feel they can't relate to the first two examples. So let me give you my third one. And then I'm going to quickly move on to, <laughs> to an even more divisive topic. <laughs> they don't see a divide in the church over favorite leaders. But today, there is a divide in the church over favorite leaders. That I don't think any of us can ignore this divide has been growing deeper over the past decade. And everyone blames the other side for the divide instead of simply admitting that the divide is simple, immature and prideful today. Many people are dividing in the church over party affiliation, political party affiliation. Our favorite leaders aren't religious leaders. They are political leaders. People are literally not speaking to or unfriending other Christians. People for whom Jesus died because they belong to a different political party. We are dividing the church, breaking fellowship with those whom Christ died to save over non-essential issues. Now, listen to this. Since 2016, people have been running around talking about white evangelicals. But stay with me on this. We are dividing from other people in Christ because of a term created by a focus group and spread on MSNBC and everybody I know somebody who literally stopped allowing their children to go to a youth group because they said there's too many white evangelicals in that group and I'm like was, it, was they getting the word in the group <laughs> I was mean, like was they was they preaching heresy and so what I started doing was this. People, why the evangelicals? Why do you, I said, I started asking people, what's an evangelical? <laughs> and in four years, not one person has been able to tell me what an evangelical is. Because they only know the word. Because it was on CNN and MSNBC. And then when I say, you know you are evangelical, right? <laughs> you, you You do understand that you are an evangelical. They'd be like, oh, for real? <laughs> and then they'd be like, oh, but I'm one of the good evangelicals. <laughs> I ain't going to get into what the evangelicals is. I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> Evangelical, euangelion, good news, gospel. Somebody who believes the gospel? Oh, we mad at people who believe the gospel? You understand that uh, evangelical is just another word for a Christian who believes certain <laughs> things about the Bible? But because of our political affiliation, those are bad Christians. I don't know them. I've never met them. Don't know nothing about them. But they're bad Christians because MSNBC said they're bad Christians. We need to start asking people, has Christ been divided? Was Donald Trump crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Joe Biden? I know people get mad when I say this, but I think it's absolutely true. For most of us, our political affiliations are more important to us than our religious commitments because we're willing to separate from people we will spend all eternity with because they voted for somebody different. And what we try to do is justify it with our pride (laughs) by trying to pretend that we and our candidate and our causes are more righteous than the other side. I'm an anti-racist. That's why I vote this way. I'm pro-life. That's why I vote this way. We're more righteous than the other people. And the truth of the matter is that all we're doing is the same thing that the Corinthian church did. We're using the wisdom of the world to justify what we want to do anyway. Let me give you a side note on how you know that you are using the wisdom of the world to justify what you're doing. Now, every four years, you hear people say, I'm just going to vote for the lesser of two evils. That's what they say. Uh, I I said that before, and then after I thought about it, I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That is so dumb. I'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils. This is the question. Why in the world would Christians want to vote for evil in the first place? When the Bible says depart from evil. And do good. Depart from evil and live. But you know what we do? We say, I'm just going to pick the lesser of two evils. Now, here's the problem. Republicans say they pick the lesser of two evils and they vote for the Republicans. And then the Democrats say, I'm voting for the lesser of two evils. And then they vote for a Democrat. Now, how we know we both voting for the lesser of two evils and we vote for two, two different people? You know why? Because voting for the lesser of two evils is man's wisdom to justify me doing, voting for who I want to vote for. Because at the end of the day, I'm the one who picks what the lesser of two evils is. Right? That's man's wisdom. Now, I'm not saying who you should vote for. You vote for whoever you want. But what we should stop doing is using man's wisdom to justify doing what we want to do in the first place. Let me move on before I get in trouble. The second (laughs) symptom of a sick church is placing a central focus on important but secondary issues. Putting a central focus on important but secondary issues. Now, when I'm, I'm saying that the issues that, that the Corinthian church were addressing was important. Paul references baptism in verse 13, and then he spends 14, 15, 16, and 17 talking about baptism. Baptism is an important issue. It is commanded by Jesus himself That if you are associated with me, you must be baptized. It's an important issue. But when compared to the gospel, it is a secondary issue. Correct? Everybody with me? Listen to what Paul says. Verse 13 again. He says, has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that they were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize. I'm not called to baptize. I've been called to preach the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. Obviously, one of the issues that was dividing the church was this issue of baptism. Maybe the, the people were, were, were just bragging about who was baptized. Oh, I got baptized by Paul. Oh, I got baptized by Paul. So I got baptized by Jesus. And then some people... You know, when they say they were, maybe they were baptized by by, you know, Jesus, the Christ group. I, I'm I'm of Jesus. You know, maybe they like our Pentecostals today, maybe they was baptized with fire. <laughs> okay. All right. But either anyway, whatever however you, you you see this issue, right? Th- they were dividing themselves based on this issue of baptism. Okay, now baptism is, a, is an important issue. Jesus said, "Be baptized," and we know that in the in the early church or in the Bible that the that the word baptism is used as a metonym, meaning that you know it symbolizes the entire process of something. Um, so, so to be baptized is to be saved. Okay, y'all remember I talked about not going to say the church because we're in the same city, but that uh, when I was at Morgan, a particular minister at a particular church. Um I was talking to he told me that I was not saved and I needed to come to his church and get baptized correctly because my church baptized me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and that's the wrong way to get baptized. You need to come to my church. We'll baptize you in the name of Jesus and then you'll be saved and speak in tongues. Okay. So 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 it's possible that they believe that The people who were being baptized from the other group, they might not be really saved. They're not like us. Paul is letting them see that they are putting a primary focus on something that's important but secondary. Now, again... People today, they also still divide over the issue of, of, of baptism. Different denominations have different viewpoints on, on baptism, right? But, uh, again, I think that we have an even greater challenge in our time of taking something that is important and secondary and making it primary, right? And I think that that the greater threat to the ch- unity of the church today, right now, still is along political and social issues. Abortion. Same sex marriage and LGBTQ um, issues, climate change, the coronavirus, lockdowns, masks and whether or not you should get vaccinated. That might get you beat up. (laughs) Right. Racism, critical theory, critical race theory. All of these things are tearing the church apart by warring groups. Now, um, for the sake of time, because I'm moving my time, I said I'd be out by 12 o'clock. I'll steal some time from next Sunday. <laughs> okay. I'm only going to pick one, one topic of of the things that I list I, Let I want to just pick one and 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 what I'm going to say about this one topic can apply to all of these topics, okay? So I'm going to talk about racism. Okay. Now, racism is a very imp- addressing racism is a very important issue, right? Is it a primary issue OK, uh, not uh, some of us not sure. OK, now you have the gospel and you have addressing racism. Which is a primary issue? OK, the gospel is the, is the primary issue. Racism is important, but is it, it is a secondary issue. The problem comes when we make it a primary issue. And and this, again, along with abortion, same-sex marriage, LGBTQ issues, climate change, the coronavirus lockdowns and all, that the problem becomes when we make important secondary issues primary issues. This issue, issue of racism is dividing whole denominations right now. And the sad thing is that people are dividing not over people who are actually racist, but because they can't agree on the place that racism is supposed to play in the gospel. So you have some people who are saying that the gospel has implications on how we address racism. That the gospel is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, people get saved, and the way they live their lives impacts the issue of racism in America. You have other people who are saying that addressing racism is a gospel issue, which means that somehow racism is a part of the gospel. And if you think I'm joking, get on Twitter and you will you will see that I'm not lying. There's a third group of people who say that addressing racism is the gospel. That if you are not addressing racism, you aren't really saved. Now, we can take this conversation. You have other people who who they look at someone's view. And says that, oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, pro-choice. I'm like, they're not real Christians. You can't be a real Christian and and support and be (laughs) pro-choice. Right? What we do is that we take social and political issues, make them gospel issues, and we are dividing the church based on politics and social issues. The Southern Baptist Convention is currently embroiled in this exact battle. In, 19, in the 1990s, we all know that the Southern Baptist Convention was created because some Baptists wanted to end slavery and other Baptists did not. And so they said, you know, we're going to create our own, you know, denomination for people who, who want to keep slaves. Okay? Southern Baptist Convention. And so, so. In the 1990s, they went through this whole process of passing resolutions and apologizing to African-Americans for their for their role in slavery and the continuing racism after that. And they, they went through this whole process of denouncing their past and and all of these things. And everything was fine. To the last few years. Of when critical race theory became pro- has become um, has become prominent. And. It became such an issue. Some people want to adopt critical race theory. I'm not going to get into what critical race theory is. And some people think that critical race theory is just social Marxism and and, and and then fighting back and forth. But in 19 in last year at the convention, they adopt a resolution trying to meet both groups middle way on critical race theory. And, and when they adopted the resolution, a portion of, of the white churches pulled out of the convention. And the issue has continued to to grow. And so last month, the board of of presidents for the colleges issued a statement clarifying and explaining their position on critical race theory. And so they said that critical race theory has some good assessments on race in America, but that critical race theory as a theory – Is not in line with our biblical beliefs. And this month, a whole bunch of black pastors are saying, we're leaving the convention. How can you say critical race theory is not in line with our beliefs? Side note, it's not. Now, here's the issue. Both groups have the same problem. They just don't recognize it. They are making secondary issues primary. They're making secondary issues primary. And because they are not focusing on what is central, they're dividing the church. Now, I know that this is an oversimplification of, of what has taken place in the last few years in the you know, in the SBC. <clears throat> but what I'm trying to get us to see is when we make secondary issues primary, right? We're not arguing about, yeah, you all are really racist. We're arguing about, you don't think critical race theory is as valuable as we see it? We can't be a part of y'all no more. Or y'all think we should really look at some of the analyses of critical race theory? We can't be a part of y'all anymore. But what we should be saying is that this is a sinful world, <laughs> and everyone needs to be saved. Now, how do we apply the gospel to racism in America? That is keeping what is central central and deals with what is important but secondary the way that it should be. Paul says, this is my last point, that a central focus on the cross of Christ is the vaccine or the solution to division in the church. Listen to what Paul says in verse 17. I'm almost done. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. When we take things that are secondary and make them primary, we empty the cross of its power. Now, how do we empty the cross of its power? We empty the cross of its power because people begin to think that they are somehow righteous because of the cause that they are fighting for. We see it today. You have Black Lives Matters. they think that they are righteous because they're anti-racist. You have people who are pro-life who think that they are somehow righteous because they're fighting for the cause of unborn children. You have people who are climate change activists who think that they are more righteous than climate deniers. <laughs> we can keep listening to all of these groups. People think that they are righteous because they are on the right side. I'm on the right side of history. No, baby, all of us are on the wrong side of history. (laughs) All of us are on the wrong side of history. (laughs) There's only one person who has ever been on the right side of history, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the only way to get on the right side of history is not to be in Anti-racist, climate change activists, or any of those other things—it is to kneel at the cross of Christ and admit that you are a sinner, equally sinful to the people on the other side that you think you're better than. Paul says, "I, I wasn't called. I wasn't called to (laughs) to baptize. I wasn't. I wasn't called to be a social justice warrior." I wasn't called to fix every issue that plagues America. Now, will the, impli- will the gospel being lived out by Christians have an impact on those things? Absolutely. That's not our job, though. It's not our job. We're not going to save America. Only Jesus can do that. We're not going to end every injustice in the world. Only Jesus can do that. And he's not gonna do that until he comes back. Now I understand we have everybody post millennialists think that, you know, we're gonna make the world so great that it's gonna cause Jesus to come back. Yeah, okay. It ain't happening in two thousand years. <laughs> okay. Now I don't want us to, again, I don't want you all to think that I'm saying that these are not important issues and so we should not care. I, I'm saying that we should we should do all that we can to address injustices in the world. I mean, you just flip through just flip through the prophets in the Old Testament and you will see how God cares about justice issues. What I'm saying is the only way to deal with justice issues is through the gospel. If marching was able to stop racism, we would have stopped it already. But the reason that racism continues is because we're marching but not spreading the gospel. Paul says, I, I, I was not called to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent words so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. We need to make sure that when we're proclaiming the gospel, that the emphasis is on Christ and not on us and what we are doing, because that also empties the cross of its power. He says, verse 18, for the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What I'm trying to get us to see is that what we what we need to do in the body of Christ is be of this, Paul says, be of the same mind and of the same purpose. When we are of the same mind and of the same purpose, right? we can have a greater impact on affecting change in the world because it is God's plan, if we read Ephesians chapter 1, it is God's plan to bring everything in line to revolve around Christ. That's all God is doing in human history. He is working on making sure that everything finds its place in line with Christ. And the only way that we're going to have a change in this world is to change human hearts. The only way to change the human heart, right, the only way to to stop someone t- from being a racist is in order to give. I don't know why I thought about this. I'm sorry. Y'all gonna kill me for this. <laughs> Y'all gonna know exactly where this comes from is to give them the gospel. <laughs> Only some people going to catch that. <laughs> right. The only way for someone to stop being racist is through the gospel. The only way to stop someone from hating you is to make them your brother in Christ or sister in Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. The message of the cross is foolishness. <laughs> and some people are going to say, maybe some people in this room even thinking oh, it don't, don't even make no, don't make no sense. It don't make sense. You talk, you know, they, we 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 talking about, you know, people being racist and institutionalized racism, and, and and you talking about telling people that they're a sinner, and if they believe in Jesus, they can go to heaven. <laughs> and I would say that's because you don't understand the gospel. Because y- y- you're making something primary that's not primary. America's original sin is not racism. That's just a symptom of the ori- of the original sin. America's original sin is sin. <laughs> America's original sin is sin. And and, and what we need to do is help everyone see that you are equally sinful to the people that you hate so that both racist and anti-racist both need the cross. Because if not, all we're going to do is cause the injustices to switch sides. The message of the cross is that we are all equally sinful and equally in need of a savior. And when we all admit our sins and biases and prejudices and racism, because we all have it. I don't care what the definition. I'm black. I can't be racist because I don't have power. Nonsense. (laughs) I thought of another word I wanted to say. all have to admit those things we all sin and fall short of the glory of god and we all need the same savior and when we focus on the gospel we won't only address racism we'll also address sex trafficking and all of these other issues because you cannot be a christian And continue to live those lifestyles of sin. It's not possible. It's not possible. Well, let me just say, because I got in trouble for saying that. We don't know if you really saved or not. (laughs) Let me just say that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I need evidence, I need proof. The gospel is the vaccine for a divided church. When we put the cross of Jesus Christ as the central focus in all of our lives, we find a way to address the ills of society together, not by breaking up into into smaller groups. Everyone with me? And when we put the, the gospel of Jesus Christ as primary... In all that we say, do, and think, that's when we have uh, the greatest impact that we have for Christ and for the benefit of the rest of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for allowing us this opportunity to read your word. I ask, Lord, that whatever people think about my explanation of this sermon today, I pray that that you would help us to see that the primary thing is the cross of Christ. And we should let the primary thing be the primary thing because only when the primary thing is the primary thing can we correctly address secondary things. And the reason that the church is not effective in addressing secondary things, the reason that the church is still struggling with issues of racism is because we are putting secondary things like politics and social issues as primary things. The reason that the world is not listening to us on issues of abortion is because we are putting political and social things as the primary thing. The reason that the world doesn't listen to us on LGBTQ issues or any other issue is because we are putting secondary things as primary things. But you said If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Lord, we're out rallying at pro-life groups and rallying with BLM and rallying with all of these other people, but we are not rallying with you. We're trying to do the work of all other organizations, but we're not doing the work that only the church can do. And that is to proclaim the gospel of a risen savior. The one who died for pro-life people and those who get abortions. The one who died for heterosexuals and LGBTQ people. The one who died for racist and black people and anti-racist. lord i pray that you would help us to continue to see things as 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 important and secondary these things must be addressed as people who love you we have to live a life that that is aimed towards justice but i pray lord that you will help us to see that we'll never hit the target of justice if we aren't shooting it with the straight arrow of the gospel And I pray, Lord, that as you keep working in your church through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you will work on us to put the gospel first, to put you first and lift you up so that you can draw all men to yourself. We thank you now for all these things. We thank you even for putting things in your words that may not be comfortable for us, but we thank you for always telling us the truth. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray and ask all of these things, amen, amen, all right.